Open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. It is a special day. I can tell you this, as a father, I just, I just love being called that. That's a blessing. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, help us today as we look at some things to help us as dads. And Lord, I pray that as we get the encouragement from your word that we can then go and live it out in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we have a world that undermines the authority of the father, right? If, if you're a strong father, then you're considered a chauvinist or that, that you put women down or um, on television, dad's always stupid and the kids no more. That, you know, mom always has to, to show him how dumb he is and all that kind of stuff. And we know that that's simply not true. Amen? It is just not true. Understand that God has established categories for us. And, and it, it's really simple. I'm going to give you some profound truth. Okay, there are men and women. There's God and there's the church. And it's interesting how Satan wants to undermine and mix in all of those categories. Right? So if you've got somebody that's half man, half woman, what do you have? Nothing. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. If you have something that's, that's government and church, that's not a legitimate category. They are separate. God has established these categories for us. And so what the world has done is it is undermining our definition of biblical manhood. It's undermining our definition of biblical womanhood. You know that when a tool is used for its express purpose, it works better. Right? Have you ever driven a nail with a screwdriver? Now, honestly, who's tried it? I have. How, how well does that work? It, it worked fine. Look at this guy. <laughs> You're destroying my illustration. Men, throw this guy out right here. It just doesn't work like it's supposed to. I can tell you that. You wouldn't want to do it all day. When tools are used for their proper purpose, can a, can a woman do man's work? Yes. Can a man do woman's work? Yes. That's not what we're talking about. But I will say this, there are jobs that a man can do that a woman can't, a woman can't do. There are jobs that a woman, that a woman, a woman, there are jobs that a woman can do that a man can't do. I don't know if I believe that. Go have a baby. <laughs> just crazy. People are nuts. How many of you have noticed people are nuts? Just common sense. Just tell the truth and people go crazy. So what I want to do today is I want us to look at the testimony of a godly father. The testimony of a godly father. What does that look like from Scripture? Let's begin here in John, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and let's look at verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. So our little kids, what do they know? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Isn't that good? I write unto you, little children, for your sins are forgiven, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Now look at this. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. All right, so I want you to notice a couple of things here. How many of you can see that there are three different groups of people here? There are little children, there are young men, and there are fathers. 
And I know that this is a familiar passage to those of us at Grace Baptist. So don't unplug. I don't think I'm going to repeat a whole lot of stuff. But the beginning is that there are three categories of Christian growth. You begin as a little child. You just know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That's where you start. And then you progress into that young man. And that young man, he has some strength, getting stronger. Um, It is funny. uh, You young guys remember that you are strong. And it's wild when your son starts to get strong and, and... you realize, okay, when I fight him now, I, I got to try a little harder. Right? Yeah, and then you get dirty. You understand that when you get a little bit older, then, then, then when they're stronger than you, then you're still smarter and you know all the dirty tricks and you still beat them. <laughs> so, I got I to gotta say this. Josh was fighting with Tristan. And Tristan was getting the better of him. How'd you, how'd you win? He bit him. <laughs> Is that true? It's true. It's a bummer being on the front row for that story, man. So young man gets, starts to get strong, you know, and, and has, has won some victories. But there's a difference between knowing that your sins are forgiven and then winning some victories over Satan's power in your life, getting some strength, and then actually knowing God. See, the Father knows God. So now these, these three categories, they apply to all Christians, men and women alike. Little child, young man, you've got some strength, and then a father, you know God. But what I want to apply it today is to fathers. What should a father know? Now, it is obvious that the father does know that his sins are forgiven. He has overcome the wicked one, and he's grown in strength. But it's interesting, when you know that your sins are forgiven... Then you start growing in the Lord and realizing that the Holy Spirit can overcome the power of Satan in your life. Then you can begin to really understand who God is. You can really begin to have a relationship and to know who He is. Now, the book of 1 John gives us some things that help us to know what would this father know? What are some things that he would know? So, my first point is this. A a father knows God. A father knows God. And that's demonstrated by some things in 1 John. So, let's look at this. There's some things that we know from 1 John. And the first one is that we can know that we actually have fellowship with God. We know that we have fellowship with God. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You want to know something that's really cool? This is, this is awesome. So the Apostle John, who's writing this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit... He says, look in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, all right, so look at that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. So they, they looked at Jesus. They touched him. They heard him. Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't know about you guys. I just can't wait to see what Jesus Christ looks like. I think he's going to be about 5'8 and blonde. <laughs> I can't wait to see what Jesus Christ looks like. The Apostle John had seen Him and he knew Him. But this is what the message is. So we can't see Him right now. We can't touch Him. And yet, we can have fellowship with Him and with the Father, who no man has ever seen. He's a spirit. He can't be touched. And yet, we can have fellowship with Him. What is fellowship? It is meaningful interaction. We can have meaningful interaction with God. That's what a father does. He knows who God is. 
You dads, do you know who God is? How is your fellowship with the Father? So not only does He want us to have fellowship, but He also wants our joy to be full. Look at chapter 1 and verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So dads, how many of you dads are here this morning? Your dad. An overflow I can't see. I know we got some dads back there. Let me ask you this question. How's your joy today? Is your joy full? Is your life, if someone were to describe you, my brother, uh, my kids call him Uncle Grumpy. <laughs> He's just grumpy. And it's hilarious. It's, it's kind of in a winsome way. It's just when you watch, I'll play golf with him, and he's just grumpy. That's, that's my brother. I wonder how your children would describe you. Dad's mad all the time. Dad's angry. Mom's mad at dad all the time. <laughs> that's funny right there. I wonder where the joy is in your life. Do you know, when you really know God, your joy is full. So here's a pretty good test for you today. And this is when it gets, you know, kind of uncomfortable. You know, the truth that if you know God, your joy will be full. I think, how many of you know that already? Right? Now when we turn it around, how's your joy? Well, then how well do you know God right now? That's when you start going. I don't know about you, but this is what I do. Supper ready yet? Time to go? I think I need to go rearrange my sock drawer right about now. It's when you have those practical... It's amazing how practical First John is. When you ask those practical questions, you really start to understand, well, where am I in this whole little child, young man, father process. So first of all, we have fellowship. Secondly, our joy may be full. And then one of the third things that we know that a father would know from 1 John is that when you know God, when you know God, He's given you the ability to overcome sin. All right? Look with me at chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you. What are those next four words? Okay, let's, that's like three people. Let's try this again. We're in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you. What are those next four words? And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here's what a, here's what a father. Here's what a father knows. I don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. That's amazing, isn't it? I don't have to sin. God can help me. But when I do sin, I have an advocate with the Father. It is so good. Don't let your sin destroy you. Why? Because we understand that we're all sinners. Verse 8, chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are all sinners, but we don't have to sin. Let me ask you a question. What sin do you have to commit? Can you name one? No. Now, the simple fact is, as long as we're in this body, we are going to sin. Amen? But we don't have to. We have been made free from the law of sin and death. Is that what the Bible says? We've been made free from that. So, verse 1 again of chapter 2. My little children, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. So a father knows that he has fellowship with God. He knows that his joy is full. He knows that he does not have to sin. And then what he also knows is there are going to be seducers. There are going to be people that are going to try and bring bad things into your life. Look at chapter 2 and verse 26. 
These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So what a father knows is there are people that are out to get him. So it might be a false teacher that's out to get you. And i got to tell you, there has never been more access to false teaching in the history of the world than there is now. It's on your phone. It's on your computer. And what happens is you'll, you'll find somebody that is a very winsome teacher, somebody that's really interesting, but they're teaching you all kinds of garbage. They're trying to seduce you away from the truth. So the father knows that there is evil out there that's trying to seduce him. It can be false teachers. In the context here, it's false teachers. It could be the little girl in the office that's trying to seduce you. And you need to be prepared for that. You need to be prepared for it. Now, look, most of you guys, you're probably thinking, I have a mirror. Why in the world would anybody want to come after me? That's not the way it works, man. That is not the way it works. How many of you have ever seen the, the, just the, the craziness that happens in office affairs or, or workplace affairs? You've seen just the craziest stuff that goes on. What does a father know? He knows that there is a world out there that wants to seduce him in so many different ways. In so many different ways. Away from your love for God, away from love for your family, away from love for your wife. A father knows that, that the world is there to seduce him. So a father knows that he has fellowship with God. He knows that his joy is full. He knows that he doesn't have to sin. And he knows that there are seducers in the world. But here's, what, here's another thing that a father knows. This is so cool. He knows that he has eternal life. Look at chapter 5 and verse 13. It's awesome. That was an amen, in case you were wondering. That's an amen right there. Verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. Now, I want you to see something right there that's so important. It doesn't say everybody has eternal life. Who has eternal life in that passage? These things have I written unto you, what is it? That believe on the name of the Son of God. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, then you know that you have eternal life. So what does a father know? He knows that he has eternal life. Have you ever messed up? Anybody here ever sinned since you got saved? Aren't you glad that your salvation isn't based on you? Your salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. A father knows these things. You know that you have eternal life. And that liberates you to serve God and to raise your family to love and to know Him. So what does a father know? He knows that he has fellowship. He knows that his joy is full. He knows that he doesn't have to sin. He knows that he needs to beware of seducers. And then he knows that he has eternal life. So not only does the father know those things, but here's something that a father really knows. A father knows a liar when he sees one. Did your dad ever say that to you? Watch out, for son. Watch out for that guy. He's a liar. Watch out for that guy. He's a li- How many of you ever heard your dad say that to you? That guy's a liar. That guy's a liar. You know what's a sad thing? Too many preachers are liars. Right? I had a preacher lie to me recently. I hate that. Preacher should tell the truth. Now, you can make a promise and you try to fulfill it and something happens, you're not able to follow through on that and you've got to say, man, I messed up on that. I really did intend to do that. That's not lying. That's over-promising, right? Did anybody here ever intend to do something and you simply were not able to accomplish it? Has that ever happened? Now, if that's the pattern of your life, you've got a problem. But I don't know if there's a man in the world other than Jesus Christ that's ever avoided that. Is that fair? I'm talking about somebody that's just a liar. They're just a liar. That's something that we taught our kids 
You know, there are lots of things where a child will disobey and they need correction. That's not the atomic bomb type. But you lie to me, that's atomic bomb type. That's the worst thing that you can ever do to your parents is to lie to them. And dads, let me tell you something. If you allow your kids to lie to you, you're setting them up for a really bad life. Amen? Man, all, all we have, ultimately, all we have is our word. Ultimately, all a man has is his integrity. And a man knows a liar. And what's interesting is how often First John talks about that. All right, so let's, let's look at that. A father knows a liar. The first liar that he knows is a Christian who says he doesn't have any sin. The Christian who says he doesn't have any sin is a liar. It, it, look at this. We make God a liar. I'm sorry. A Christian who says he has no sin calls God a liar. Chapter 1 and verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, is God a liar? He is not. So if you've got any Christian that denies sin, then they're making God a liar. And a man of God knows that. Uh, I, I was at Oklahoma State, and you know we had our ministry there. And I was dealing with, um, it, it was a Church of Christ group, and their leader wanted to have lunch with me. And he said, I haven't sinned in 20 years. I said, well, then there's your first one. <laughs> I said, you're a liar. How about that? Took him to this passage. I said, let me ask you a question. Did you pray in faith before you sat down in that chair? He said, no. I said, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. See, we don't understand just how sinful we are. You understand that everything we do is supposed to be by faith? Everything. And I was just in discipleship this week. We're talking about spiritual gifts. And it's sinful to use your spiritual gift apart from faith. That's what the Bible says. But for me, so often, my speaking, my ability to communicate, that's a gift from God. Anybody who can do that, that's a gift. If you can sing, that's a gift from God. If you can speak, that's a gift from God. Amen? I could stand up here today without studying, without any notes, and you would never know it. Now, if I did that for 20 years, you would begin to understand it very quickly. Right? Why? Because that's ability. That's ability. I can talk. I was able to do that from the time I was a kid. That's not the same thing as preaching the Word of God in faith. Is that right? By faith. Some of you, you have the ability to serve. I mean, you're just ready to help someone. Anytime you can, you're ready to help. That is a gift. That doesn't mean you're doing that in faith. How would you do that in faith? God, I'm going to go over and help these people today. I need your help. I need to not be arrogant in the way I do this. I need to make sure that you're getting glory for this. Do you see the difference? You see the difference? So it's really important that we understand what the Bible is saying here is that we are sinners and we need to recognize just how sinful we are. That when we pray, we sin. When we speak, we sin. When we give the gospel, sometimes we're sinning. If we're not doing it in the right spirit, to give Him the glory. Amen? Amen. You guys aren't nearly as excited about this as I am. This is such a cool thing. The fact that we can know and be aware... That we're sinners, and everybody around us is a sinner. That's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we think we can do this without God, we make Him a liar. So, a father knows a liar. Here's another one. Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. A Christian who doesn't keep God's commandments is a liar. This one hurts right here. Chapter 2 and verse 4. He that saith, I know him, 
and keepeth not his commandments. Ooh, what are those next three words? Is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Holy cow. Now, let's be honest. You know where I'm going, all right? But you still have to vote. I don't know if you don't like liars. How many of you are Christians here? How many of you have times when you don't keep his commandments? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Man, it, isn't that good to know? What does that do? Man, I don't know about you guys. That really brings humility to me. Because I start to think I got this. You know, that's that, that young man. Mark Trotter talks about the young man. You know, the, the little child, you know, little children, young men, fathers. He said, he said it's like in the mall. The guys wearing the letter jackets, you know. And, you know, they're looking for trouble, and they run into somebody bigger than them, and they get their tail kicked. You know, it's been said you're not a real man until you've had your tail kicked, you know. (laughs) That really does teach you some humility. Do you know what this passage does for me? It teaches me some humility. Because you start to think, you know what, I've got this. I've got this. And yet, I don't do everything I'm supposed to do. That makes me a liar. So what do I really need to do? I just need to believe God and I need to be humble and I need to live in the grace of God, recognizing that I'm not all that in a bag of chips. I really need God. I really, really, a father knows that. A father knows that. Father knows a liar. All right. So we see a Christian who doesn't keep God's commandments is a liar. Then how about this? Anybody who denies the deity of Christ, look at chapter two and verse 22. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So we've got a lot of people today that call themselves Christians that don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They don't believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in the Trinity. They're liars. They're antichrist. So we have to be careful. Just because somebody calls themselves a Christian, they say they go to church, that doesn't mean that they have the truth. Amen. A father knows this. A father knows this. Baby Christians think that we all just need to get together as Christians and get rid of all this, this pesky doctrine and let's all just come together. We can't come together. Why? Because if somebody doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God, he is an antichrist. How many of you think we need to book the antichrist to come preach our next Bible conference? No, that's why we've got to have the ecclesiastical separation. That is church separation. We're not going to hold hands with everybody. If somebody doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, he's an antichrist, and he is a liar. That's what the Bible says. Then how about this? Ooh, this one's tough. This one's tough. How many of you know that a Christian is supposed to forgive? Would you raise your hands? You know that a Christian is supposed to forgive. Why? Because we've been forgiven. Anybody here been forgiven? Then we're supposed to forgive. Look at this. Look at chapter uh, 2. Sorry, chapter 4. In verse 20. If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Now listen, have you ever said this? Man, I hate that guy. You ever said that? I have. Man, I hate that guy. Anybody here? Now, who's going to be honest with me? You ever say that? Okay, overthrow. I can't overflow. I can't see your hand. Say amen back there if you've ever said that. 
Oh, there's like three people back there. A bunch of liars in the overflow today. Man, what does that mean? That means that we have to learn to forgive. Not only forgive. You ready for this? But love them. And here's what you say. Man, I can't do that. I'm sorry. You're exactly right. You can't do that. That's why we need the Holy Spirit of God. We need that. We need that. Wouldn't it be good if you raised your kids and they saw that you were able to forgive somebody that did you wrong? How many of you know that you have a better life when you don't hold on to hurt? How many of you know that you have a better life when you do that? That, So as dads, we need to demonstrate that to our kids. That means you might be done wrong by the same person twice. Amen? Now, can I qualify that for a minute? If somebody hurts your kids, you know, like a child molester type thing, if you give them a second opportunity, you need to be whipped. I'm just telling you... If, if there's a, a molestation-type situation, those people should never be around your kids again. I think they should die, but our law doesn't allow that to happen. But they should never be... Forgiveness is you, you give that up to God. You stop allowing that hurt to destroy you. Forgiveness does not mean that you give that person opportunity to harm your children again. Amen? Ladies, you got a husband that's beating you. You do not have to stay under that. You do not have to put yourself in that situation again. Come tell us. We'll help you. People get so messed up on this forgiveness thing. Do you all agree with that? People get messed up on this forgiveness thing. I'm talking about somebody lies to you. You need to forgive them. That mean you give them your wallet real quick. But we need to be able to forgive. Amen? And when that unforgiveness leads to hate, all of a sudden you calling yourself a Christian... You're, you are living like a liar. Now, I've got to qualify it. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means you are not practicing what you claim to believe. When you don't practice what you claim to believe, that makes you a what? A liar. Okay, all right. So, a man who says he loves God but hates a Christian, that's a liar. And then how about this one? Anybody who doesn't believe the Bible, look at chapter 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself... He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Anybody that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that belief in Him gives him eternal life, that person is a liar. Do you know there are a lot of preachers that don't believe in salvation by grace through faith alone? They're liars. Now, now parents, make sure your your young people aren't under that preacher. Amen? Amen? Isn't this good how practical the book of John is? All right, so what do we see? We see, first of all, that a father knows God, and he knows that he has fellowship with God. He knows that his joy is full. He knows he doesn't have to sin. He knows that he's got to beware of seducers, and he knows that he has eternal life. And then a father knows what a liar is, and what we've seen is that a Christian who says he has no sin calls God a liar. A Christian who does not keep God's commandments is a liar. Anyone who denies the deity of Christ is a liar. The man who says he loves God but hates a, a brother is a liar. And the man who does not believe the word of God calls God a liar. All right? But can I give you this one? I think this one might be the most important one that I've got for you today. And that is that a father knows that his heart will lie to him. A father knows that his heart will lie to him. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, 
and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Now, here's, here, this is so important. This is so important. When you begin to know who God is and you look into that perfect law of liberty, you start looking into that scripture. Do you know what happens? You start to find out just how bad you really are. And then your heart begins condemning you. Am I really saved? Can God really use me? Yes. Yes. Look, don't raise your hands on this, but I know that there are times when you close your eyes in a quiet time and you have shame and regret and those past behaviors come back into your mind. Those past behaviors that God has washed away with the blood of His precious Son. If your heart condemns you because of those things, your heart is lying to you. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to assure your heart. By what? By the Word of God. Do you know what that will give you? To, that, you know what that will allow you to do? That will give you courage to be the father that your children need you to be. You'll have the courage to say, yes, I did mess up here, but I'm not going to do that again by the grace of God, and I'm going to help you how to, know, to know how not to make the same mistakes that I did. And young people, let me just tell you something. Oh, you young people, look up here at me. It's really important that you get this. When your dad says to you, look, I see what you're doing. I did that. I did that. Don't make the same mistake that I did. Have your parents ever said that to you? You need to listen to them. If you don't listen to them right there, do you know what that makes you? Really stupid. How many of you know not to put your hand in the fire? How many of you know not to do that? Any of you? Okay, Isaac here's not sure. <laughs> you know not to do that, right? Why? Because it'll hurt you. I guarantee you there are people in here that your dad said, don't touch the fire, and you did it anyway. Right? There are some of you who, I don't remember who it was. They said they put, they put a, a sign that said um, key slot over the electric thing for their brothers and sisters. <laughs> That's awesome. You guys got to do that. That's awesome. Make sure they don't have any heart trouble before you do that. Did anybody here ever put a key in a in a outlet? Anyone here do that? Carol did. I did. Like, we're the only people stupid enough. Carol, you and me, we have our own club. So your parents told you not to do that, right? Who, somebody in here put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the VCR. Who was it that did that? Somebody. I don't remember who it was. Somebody here. How many of you know that's not a good idea? You guys are saying, what's a VCR? Okay. <laughs> See, it, it, it is so important, it's so important that we as dads, that we are able to look back at our past mistakes, give those to the Lord, and then teach our children how to walk right. It's so important. You know, the world doesn't want you to do that. This past uh, week was the 50th anniversary of the 1967 Six-Day War in Israel. And it was in June, I think it was June uh, like 6th through the 10th. 
somewhere in there. That's probably not six days, but I'm sure. But right in there. And it's hard for us to understand that you had 650,000 people living in, in Israel. That was the population. And you had 34 million amassed against them. Okay, guys, that's more. And the widest point of Israel at that time was eight miles. And so Syria and Egypt had signed an agreement to where their military was all under one command. So the armies of Syria and Egypt were, were coming. And what they said, they, they made an announcement, a radio announcement, that they were going to make the Mediterranean run, run red with the blood of the Jews. And they were going to push Israel into the sea. And they were praying, the Jews were praying that Jordan would stay out of it. And the, the, Israel, the Israelis and, and the Jordanians had had a really good relationship with King Hussein. But the Arabs had put so much pressure on Hussein that he attacked from the Jordanian side. And remember, it's only eight miles wide. It's here to pick one. That's, that's as much land as they were having to defend. It, it was almost indefensible. And so you have these great armies, and on the, the, the Syrian side, they started shelling Jerusalem, and they're, they're throwing bombs, their missiles into, into West Jerusalem. East Jerusalem was still under the Palestinian mandate. So in 1948, when they established those borders, there was a fence that went through the middle of Jerusalem. It would go through apartment buildings. And they, the Jews were not allowed anywhere near the Temple Mount. They weren't allowed anywhere near the Western Wall. The closest they could get to it was Mount Zion. And from there, you could barely peek in and see it. But if you did, the Palestinians would shoot you. It was, it was a horrible time to live there. And so now, 1967, they're about to be invaded. They don't know what to do. They don't have an air force. And they have these trainer jets that they attached bombs to with a manual release, but they didn't have bomb sites. They didn't have any of the technology to fight. And here they have 400 planes coming against them, and they have almost nothing. They have these old World War II tanks, and the, the Syrians have modern tanks that are coming at them. It was a horrible situation. And Jordan attacks. And so they decided, we're going to preemptively attack. And they, they snuck in. And I want you to know something. When God the Father is on your side, miraculous things happen. And so the Israelis knew that they were in trouble, so they decided to preemptively attack Syria's air bases. And Jordan saw them coming. And Jordan communicated that to the Syrians. But the Syrians had just changed their codes on their communication, and the Jordanians didn't have those codes, so they weren't able to stop them. They destroyed 400 planes on the ground before they could ever come and attack them. It was an amazing thing. Then there was a man, his name was Moda Gur, G-U-R. And he was the head of the, of the Israeli paratroopers. He was just a young man. And he was in, in West Jerusalem. And they, they didn't have any hope. No one believed that they could get East Jerusalem. No one believed that they could ever win that, that they could ever take it. They were just supposed to take a defensive position. And Gur said, hang that. And he went in. Remember William the... Uh, uh, um, Richard the Lionhearted, during the Crusades, had tried to take Jerusalem and couldn't do it. So many people had tried to take Jerusalem and couldn't do it. Do you know what he did? you know what Gur did? He took his men, snuck around through the Jordanian side and got to the Lion's Gate. And he came in an attack that no one had ever done. The Jordanians didn't even think they had to defend that position. So they were able to take it. How did they take it? 
Here was the problem. Imagine this. It had been more than 20 years since anyone in Jerusalem, any Jew, had been in the old city. They didn't know where anything was. There weren't any maps. There was no satellite reconnaissance. There were no drones. They didn't have any idea. They had to remember, when I was a little kid, I'd go up and I'd see three trees. When I got to those trees, I'd move to the right. They they had to figure out where the western wall was. How are we going to get in there? They got to the eastern gate or to this. They went around the Jordanian side to the lion's gate. They got to the lion's gate and they're thinking, how are we going to get through this? It's a huge, massive gate. If they blow it up, they're going to know we're coming. How are we going to get in? They got there and this old Arabian, I'm sorry, this old Arab man, he came out and he said, the Jews gave me this key 20 years ago. I knew you would come back. Handed them the key. They opened the gate, went in, and this radio announcement came through. I want to get it right. The radio announcement was this. The Temple Mount is in our hands. They never dreamed. The Israeli leadership didn't believe they could get East Jerusalem. They didn't believe it. They tore down the fence immediately, and they were afraid there was going to be big fighting. And it wasn't like that. There were people that liked each other from each side. They went over looking for their friends. Now, that doesn't mean everybody was happy about it. But God just intervened in that area in a supernatural way. Only God could do that. Men, we live in a culture. They had 650,000. The the enemy had 34.5 million. We live in a time where it feels like we're alone. Do you remember what Elijah said? I'm alone. And he said, no, there's 7,000 men that haven't bowed the knee in Israel. We're not alone. But even if we were alone, With God on our side, we're a majority. Amen? You dads living in this culture, you can be like Modigur. You can win these battles because of who God is unless your heart lies to you. Your heart's going to lie to you and say, "I, you know, my kids are going to be worldly. That's just the way that it is. My house is going to be worldly. That's just the world that we live in. Or you can say, as for I, whatever else you guys are going to do, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? We can do that. So they won this victory that nobody thought they could win. So many more stories about it. Maybe I'll tell you the whole story sometime. So many more accounts of things that God did. Fog coming in and, and hiding troops. and It was just amazing how God allowed them to get that victory. But do you know what happened after that? They thought they were invincible. They got filled with pride. What happens when you're filled with pride? You fall. So that's 1967. Yom Kippur War. On Yom Kippur, it's a Jewish holiday. The Syrians and the Egyptians attacked again. And the Israelis took horrible casualties. Horrible. And there are some lessons that they learned from it that we as fathers need to learn. Eli Weitzel, he was a a famous Jewish writer. He said this. Here are some lessons. The the first is the error of hubris, but I want to give them in the order that he gave them. He said this, listen, believe the threats of your enemies. When somebody tells you you want to kill them, when somebody tells you they want to kill you, believe them. That's why we have the CCW class. That's why we as a country need to be careful about allowing people that practice Sharia law to come into the United States. If your enemy says they want to kill you, believe them. He also said this, listen, believe the threats of your enemies more than the promises of your friends. You see, the United States, the United Nations had promised to help them. But they they said, look, 
if you'll withdraw from this area, the United Nations will protect you. There are peacekeepers there. The Egyptians told them they're going that they wanted them to leave. They left without protest or without warning Israel. Made, the UN had made a commitment to defend Israel. Have we heard that? Yeah. And so that's why, they, that's why Netanyahu says, no, we're going to defend ourselves. We're going to defend ourselves. They learned this from the 1967 war. <clears throat> believe the threats of your enemies more than the promises of your friends. If someone says they want to kill you, believe them. Listen, if someone promises to take a bullet for you, don't believe them. We all believe that, don't we? Individual accountability. Police officer here, it's not his job to protect my family. It's my job to protect my family. By the time he gets there, it's too late. Then, so number one, believe the threats of your enemies more than the promises of your friends. Number two, beware of your own hubris. That, that passage that we looked at where we learned that we're all liars, what does that do? That takes away our pride. Hubris, that's arrogance that leads to pride. And you'll lose a battle that way. We need to understand, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible doesn't say greater are you than he that is in the world. The Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need to be aware of pride and arrogance. It'll destroy us. Yeah, I'm fine. I can look at that. It doesn't hurt me. We've got to be aware of that pride. Then beware of underestimating your enemy's desire, their will to win. We need to understand how much the world hates us. Young people, you need to understand how much the world hates your God. And you need to, we need to understand that there is a culture war against us. And we need to not underestimate, we, we need to be careful that we don't underestimate their resolve to destroy us. They play the long game, don't they? We'll win a battle and think we've won the war. No, no, we've got to understand. So, what are we going to learn from this? In that Yom Kippur war, there was a guy named Zvi Gringold. Zvi Gringold. And the Syrians had come through the Jewish tank lines so fast that their entire tank, the entire tank division was destroyed. And you had a, an, a 300 tanks of um, Syrian tanks, modern Syrian tanks coming against Israel. But there was one man who had survived with one tank. His name was Zvi. And he destroyed the first tank in the line, and that stopped the line from coming through a pass. And then, using guerrilla tactics with his tank, he, his one tank, he would zig and zag. He took out more than 30 enemy tanks. He got on the radio, and he called the central command of the Israelis and said, we have an invasion of Syrian tanks coming. I've taken 30 of them out. You need to send air power. And it's amazing what the... the they said, we're going to send it. But the, the message that was sent around was the Zvika brigade was holding the enemy. They thought it was a whole brigade of tanks. It was one guy that held that area. And eventually, eventually, they won the war. Again, it was a short war. But every war in Israel is an existential threat. That is, if they lose that war, they are gone. Their existence is destroyed. Do you understand that every spiritual battle you fight is an existential battle? Every battle you fight for your children, it could be their spiritual life. It could be their physical life. So you have an entire world. You have an entire army of the enemy coming against you. If you believe that your father is true, 
then you're going to stand and you're going to do whatever it takes to win that battle. Amen? A few lessons that we can learn from Zviva. I'm sorry, it's from Zvi. Stand when it seems impossible. Believe God, not men. Oh, I wanted to tell you this. This is so cool. That Modiger, he's the guy that... So when, um, when Moshe Dayan, who was the minister, ministry of defense, the head of the ministry of defense in that 67 war, he didn't want them to go into East Jerusalem. He didn't think it was possible. And Modiger said, no, we, I have this opportunity. We're going to go do it. And they won. They, they captured East Jerusalem. Someone asked him afterwards, where did you get the courage to do this? Listen, dads, listen. I knew I had this opportunity and that when we accomplished this, my daughter would think that I was like King David. How about that? Do you want to know what's really cool? You have an opportunity to live the rest of your life for God. And then your children could say, I am like the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful would it be if rather than your children saying you're mad, that when your life is over, they would say, he was the most Christ-like person I ever knew. How can you be that? I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him who's from the beginning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Father, I pray, I'm thankful for the men that we have here.